0: The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. The Andrew Gross on 630 Chad.
1: Well, I love positive people, and our next guest certainly is that. Bob LeGro walked over the table with a big smile on his (laughs) face, handed me uh, almost like a little backpack thing. says, how would you like to carry this around? (laughs) And I said to him, I said, is that keeping you alive? He says, no, this is, pointed to a contraption on his chest, but this is the backup.
0: (laughs) You're a walking advertisement for medical technology, Bob. (laughs) Tell us your story. How did you come to be... Well, you've, you've had medical problems in the past prior to having to come to the mass. Uh,
2: yes. Uh, actually, my first experience was in the U of A hospital, but uh, that was in 1987 for a, s- a small operation here. But otherwise, yeah, I've uh, been through a uh, couple of episodes. You know, appendix is gone. Well,
1: know, it says somewhere. here you had major, major surgery to remove three quarters of your large intestine. Yes. You've beaten cancer twice. Yes. And then you had a... Some heart issues. Yes. Okay, so tell us about the heart issues. (laughs) Bob, what happened here? So your heart was pretty bad when you got to this point, I'm guessing, like most people?
2: Uh, Yeah, I was originally diagnosed in 2005, and then we used drug therapy for a while. With what? uh, With cardiomyopathy. Okay. Which is what? Uh, Well, what's happening is the heart, left side of the heart, is getting weaker. Okay. And when it gets weaker, it gets larger. When it gets larger, it gets weaker again, yes. and it's just a cycle. It's it's a spiral. It keeps going that way. So over a period of time, then the heart's not pumping blood through the body. Hmm. And that's basically what happened.
1: It wasn't too long before they decided they needed to operate on you.
2: Oh, well, I came in, I ended up uh, taking ambulance into uh, the Royal Alex, and I was there for two days, and then they decided they better move me over here i think that was a tuesday on a wednesday the doctors came in and said we want to operate on you before friday because we don't think you're going to make it to monday
1: oh my goodness now what went through your mind when you heard that okay let's go it's going <laughs>
0: <laughs> obviously a very tough guy and a, and a guy with uh you know some previous experience uh
2: dealing with medical professionals um does the Maz stand out differently oh my God! the Maz is amazing the staff is amazing uh I don't know if you could call, ever call a hospital like home, but it, it sort of felt that way. And everybody who, who came by, the nurses, the doctors, you know, they're all trying to do the best they can do for you. And my God, I mean, they told me I was going to be in here for three to six months, and I went home after three weeks. So. Wow.
1: Now you had uh, one of these VADs put in, the ventricle ventricular assist, assist device. device and is that what that is well, right th- there th-
2: this is the computer okay this is the batteries oh my goodness okay so the, the yeah. obviously which makes you mobile the pump is actually inside okay and there is a cord that goes inside my body right here so there's always what they call it consider an open wound so you're susceptible to infection you got to be careful with that so huh. when they Otherwise. explain to you that
0: this is what they're going to do uh, I mean, this is some pretty high-end technical
2: stuff. Blew me away because I didn't know it even existed right. to, until they told me about it on the Wednesday before they put it in on Friday. And, and how do you sort of,
0: how do you kind of wrap your head around, this is what my life will be now?
2: I'm a technically oriented person, number one. That's so. Bonus. That's That helps with the equipment, so the equipment was no big deal. Uh, I looked at it uh, in that... Okay, I'm alive. Yeah. I'm here. I can still do things. I still have I still play golf. No better, but I still play <laughs> golf.
1: <laughs> now, so so Bob, did you start to feel I'm guessing you started to feel much better I'll, I'll very was, quickly?
2: Yes. And that that's the nature of this when when you consider that pumping blood through your body is what keeps you alive, if you will. Now you've got function again. You've got blood moving. You've got everything is still coming back to normal again. So you you go from uh, for me not being able to take ten steps to now I can walk two kilometers at a set pace, mind you, because yeah. the pump does not go up and down with exertion. It's just a steady flow. So, so but you still can take pick a pace, find your pace,
0: and go with it. So when you come into the MAZ now, and I'm assuming you have to come back from time to time yes. for them to, you know, check the batteries. Approximately six months. Every six months. Uh, what goes through your mind as you walk back to the MAZ? What goes through your mind today as you walk into the MAZ? I mean, what memories
2: come rushing back to you? They're all good. Um, I, I I look for people that I know, like the nurses or whatever. I, I go up on the fourth floor, which is where I spent so much time, and talk to them see how they're doing and you know just visit with them type thing i talked to some people that are either they asked me to come in and talk to people who are either getting ready to have a vad or who have just had one and
0: did somebody do that for
2: you uh yes someone came in after i had there was no time Mm -hmm. to do it before yeah Uh, in that in my case but uh, in some cases, there are. You get more time.
1: But here's, here's a, there's, there's another twist to all of this, is that just a short time after you had the VAD put in, you were diagnosed with cancer.
3: Yeah. Okay, so okay,
1: there's so another you were, thing to deal with. Okay, so let's were, deal with that. <laughs> but, you know, was it, was, did, did, it, did this help you beat the cancer?
2: I think what this did is this brought it out. okay. Because now you think about, you're not getting much blood circulation, and it needs blood circulation to present itself, if you will. So I, I believe that that's what eventually triggered it to show itself. Okay. So I got it early. And because they hadn't ever treated anyone with this unit before in that way, they had me come in and stay here for two months. Wow. And, uh, and go back and forth to the cross-cancer on a daily basis. So we ask all our guests the same question, we'll
0: ask you as well. So why should those individuals listening right now get their wallets out and make a donation to the mass?
2: It's life-saving. I mean, there's so many people that have gotten a higher quality life, a longer life by a stretch. Because for me it's been five years now. And I, I don't get that five years without this Without this place, without the doctors, without the technology.
0: I, I'm, I'm guessing you and I are roughly the same age. How old are you? 62. Oh, yeah, I am 59. Yeah. When I was a kid and and we thought about the kind of care that you receive at the MAZ, we assumed, didn't we, that you'd have to fly to New York or you'd have to go somewhere, somewhere outside else. of Canada or at the very least go to Toronto. Like, I don't know that... Everybody appreciates just how great a facility this is, how important it is for people to have it here in Edmonton.
2: Oh, it is. And to have it at Edmonton, for me, wow. You know, it, it's, it's here, and I'm here, and, and it's one of the amazing thing. And I have heard of, uh, I talked to a gentleman who actually had his VAD installed in the States, and it was because he had to. Yeah. Uh, he was there, and it just was so bad for him. But I also uh, talked to someone who had gone through the states to have this type of therapy done, and they sent them back. Mm-hmm. They said, you're better off back here because this is a world-class facility. Wow. Great to hear. What's next for you, Bob? I don't know. Summertime's coming. Camping's coming.
0: You got four years to get ready for the next uh, Winter Olympics. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever would have been at that level. <laughs> oh,
1: Bob Legro, joining us uh, this afternoon. Thank you so much for sharing your story.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, everybody out there, let's go, guys. We, 7, need, we need support here.
1: 780-407-2200.
0: There you go. Or go online, heartpledgeday.ca. Before we take our break, let's thank again our presenting sponsor, Durabilt Windows and Doors, our Heart Wall sponsor for this hour. Um, no, where it's our... our Rosano Transport. There you go. And our volunteers are provided by Scott Builders. They want to answer the phone, so give us a call. Now, Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross on 630 Chad
1: was pretty thrilled to just meet uh, Kara, the therapy dog <laughs> yeah. um, that was just finishing up her shift over at the stallery. So they popped over to say hi to us as well. So Kara and her trainer, or her her leader, whatever, uh, Lindsay, <laughs> yeah. popping by. I'm going to uh, tweet out a picture shortly.
0: Nice. Very soft fur, by the Portuguese way. Portuguese water dog. There you go. You know, uh, Jay Lynn and I was distracted for the better part of five minutes yeah. there. We were going to talk uh, with Bill Morrill, and he has uh, he's the patient we referred to uh-huh. earlier at the top of the show there was actually a patient here at the Maz yesterday just uh, released yesterday um we weren't able to uh well we were able to contact bill he's sleeping he's sleeping and we don't want to disturb him uh, but we're pleased to have his sister on the line darlene shiver hi darlene
3: hi how are you
0: i'm really good how are you doing
3: i'm good
0: Uh, so you know possibly could you tell us a little bit about bill and what brought him to the Maz recently
3: Well, um, he was just diagnosed with um, heart issues, so he came in to um, have actually a valve repaired and ended up having it replaced. So it was a bit bigger than we expected, but everything went really well.
1: Okay, and so were, were we right with saying that he just was released from the hospital, what, a couple days ago, yesterday?
3: Yesterday, and he had the surgery a week ago today.
1: Oh my
0: goodness! Wow. So he, it had been a plan to come in for the repair, so that was something that was not unexpected. The replacement, though, was something that came up during surgery.
3: That's right. They, the valve was too damaged, and they couldn't repair it. So they, while they were in there, they decided to just replace it. Or he would have needed to come back in within, you know, months to a year to have another surgery. So they just got her done
1: so darlene how's his recovery been so far
3: you know what amazing he wasn't even in intensive care for 24 hours after surgery and the nurses in intensive care like i just can't even say how amazing they were like they were just incredible i mean we were so scared for him, and he went in with, you know, not a very positive attitude. So it was really scary. And, man, those ladies were amazing. Like, they took care of my sister and I's mental health just as much as they took care of my brother's physical health.
4: How
0: long does a procedure like this take?
3: Oh, I think about five, four to five hours.
0: And, and you stayed here the whole time waiting?
3: Yeah well i didn't i i started my new job that morning oh goodness (laughs) yeah it was kind of a stressful day um because bill's surgery was actually postponed today so but my sister she stayed at the hospital continuously
1: So, Darlene, when you talk about um, the staff here taking care of of, uh, not only your brother Bill, but you and your sister, tell us about that and um, how they made sure that you were up to date on everything and taking good care of you as well.
3: Well, you know, like every single question we had was answered so completely. Like, we were never treated like we were just, you know dumb sisters that were just in their way (laughs) um like we were answered professionally but very kindly like like as if we're having a conversation with somebody that we've known for a long time and they never hesitated and never ever made us feel like we were inconvenienced for asking a question
1: and and that's so nice because you know i think probably a lot of us um could could rel- uh, relay a story about feeling dismissed at times when we were trying to find out information from, right. uh, you know, in, in, you know, from healthcare professional. Sure. And, and I'm not, I'm not to, you know, you no, know, like them. No,
0: qualified. What I'm because saying is sometimes be it's tough. a balance, right? Yeah. Sometimes it's a balance where you feel like I'm definitely in the right place because these guys or yeah. girls are really smart and they know what they're doing. Uh, or you feel like, oh, well, this is just the happiest, friendliest uh, staff here, but I'm not sure I'm getting the correct care. To find the both. Both in the same place. Yeah, it's amazing. Probably oh, pretty amazing.
3: 100%. 100%. Like, we never felt like, like I said, we were never felt like we were spoken down to. Mm-hmm. One of the the nurses was actually, she's graduating in eight weeks. Um, Colby was her name. And she was amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, she just answered so much. You would have thought that our intensive care room was, like, a yuck-yuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious, like, we were laughing. My nephew, he's, like, a real card, and, you know, they just accept, and the more nervous he gets, the the funnier he gets and the more silly. And you know what, they just accepted him for who he was, and they just played right along with his humor, And, and, I mean, we were laughing, and Bill was so taken care of. And, well, obviously, I mean, he was out of intensive care within, you know, 18, 16 to 18 hours. Well, by, know, like, by the sounds
1: of it, he needs to go and open for Andrew and well, for Andrew's say, next show.
0: I was going to say, if it if the room seemed like a yuck yucks, so I'm assuming the first person in was okay, the second person was a little better, and then finally the surgeon showed up and closed the thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Darlene, what do you want to say to the folks who are listening? Um, you know about you know picking up the phone and or going online and making a donation.
3: You know what? Whatever you can give, like. I mean, we never anticipated this for my brother and he never anticipated it, but that, that facility was just there for my brother and now we get to keep him. And like, if you can do anything to keep this place functioning and having everything it needs, like, please, please help. Like, they're just amazing. And now our family stays complete because of them.
1: Yeah, that uh, says it all right there. Yeah. Well said, Darlene. Thank you so much for joining us. And say hello you know to Bill what? for us.
3: Oh, we, I will. Thank you for the opportunity for me to just put out there how much our family appreciates what was done for my brother. Because it's just, it was amazing. Like, it just, it just was, like, I just can't even say how amazing it was. Like, it was just, it was okay, you know? Like, it was okay that this happened. Like, they, they just made yeah. it okay. Yeah. You
0: knew you were in good hands, Sterling.
3: Oh, I never doubted it for a second. Even when we got on the ward, you know, the nurses were just like, anything you need, like, just buzz me, you know? And even, if I could just give a quick example of, of how they supported our family. Like, of course, my sister and I are just, like, freaked out. Like, this was big, and, and you know, we want to help my, our brother as much as we can. And she said, you know what? Like, I, I know that you want to help him, but he needs to reach for that glass of water. <laughs> and I mean, at first, it's kind of like, well, but, you know, he's just had to. And, but she didn't leave it there. She explained why. And, huh. you know, that his body was retaining fluid. And by him moving, it's going to really help. Like, so we were never just do it do it because I said They can explain why they were saying
0: it. Felt like you were all in it together. Darlene, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Again, say hello to Bill for us and uh, all the best uh, moving forward from here.
1: Thank you. All right, 327 on the 630 Chad afternoon news. It is Heart Pledge Day as we continue to broadcast live from the Massenkowski Alberta Heart Institute 780-407-2200 1-866-407-2211
0: or, or go online heartpledgeday.ca or visit 630chad.com. Now, Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross on 630 Chad. Well, we've been asking you all afternoon to pick up the phone and phone 780-407-2200. Many of you have some great donations coming in. Cyril B, $300. 300
1: Walter C, $150.
0: Judith B, 100
1: Margaret T. 50?
0: And Vance, uh, you're our champ. Vance K, $2,500. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so much for that.
1: Talking about a champ here at uh, the Mazenkowski our next guest, I would say ranks right up there. Dr. Gurmeet Singh is an intensivist and cardiac surgeon right here at the Mazenkowski Alberta Heart Institute. It's nice to see you again.
5: Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for having me back.
0: Uh, so, could you describe for us your <laughs> job? Because it sounds like the kind of one I'll never be qualified
5: for. Uh, Well, sometimes I wonder if I'm qualified for it (laughs) myself. Uh, You know, as an intensivist, uh, our job is to look after the critically ill patients. And uh, I work in the cardiovascular intensive care unit. This is an ICU that is uh, burdened with the sickest of the sick. We look after all of the cardiac surgical patients. We care for all the heart transplants, all the lung transplants, and all the patients on advanced forms of life support, and all adults who undergo complex repairs after having uh, surgical repairs done of their heart disease as children. So we see wow. quite a variety. We're the only unit in all of Canada that looks after that breadth. Now you're doing surgeries as well, though. Um, I've restricted my practice uh, to that of the extracorporeal life support patients in that regard, so I'm not uh, operating full-time. What what does that that mean? mean? (laughs) It's a good question. Uh, So when patients are no longer supportable by conventional means like with a ventilator or with medications to support their blood pressure we can use a technology that we call ECMO ECMO and that's an acronym for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation medicine's a lot like the military we've got a lot of (laughs) acronyms and that technology allows us to take over or support the work of the lungs and or heart, depending on how we configure it and how we use it.
0: And how many patients would you have under your care at any given time?
5: So in the CVICU, uh, during the daytime, uh, we run two teams. There's 24 patients in there, so we divide up the the patients uh, by teams. And at night, there's one of us who's on to look after the whole unit, uh, 24 people at a time.
0: You know, I'm curious and I'm sorry. Jake. Okay. Uh, you know, it's funny. I think about if you've ever come across an accident and you see the police cars and the police lights and the police walking around, I'm, it's always been curious to me. How does everybody know what they're supposed to be doing? I mean, who's in charge of this thing? You must have. I mean, how big are these teams and how does everybody on the team know what everyone else on the team is doing?
5: You know, you have identified one of the truly great parts of working in critical care, medicine, and that is the team. Members of the team include nursing staff, respiratory therapists, but also pharmacists, physiotherapists, um, the uh, licensed practitioning nurses, um, unit aides. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, and then of course our managers who support that. The, each member of the team knows what they bring to the table and we rely on each other to take um, that their role and to present it and to represent what they think is going to be in the best interests of the patient and um, as I guess for lack of a better word, the team leader, you know, you have to make decisions incorporating all of that, and we work together to try to achieve the best possible outcomes for our patients.
1: You, you know, you think about us today, you know, we were missing some, you know, critical information, just basic information, just to do this. We're not mm-hmm. saving lives. We're not trying no. to save anyone's lives. We weren't getting some, you know, just some yep. basic communication. Now, if basic communication, if there's a breakdown there, there's some pretty significant um issues that come out of that that can't happen
5: no and we you know especially in icus and with the ecmo teams we do a lot of not only training but we also use simulation and uh, we do recertifications and have a lot of interaction and feedback on cases and outcomes in order to try to not only bridge that communication gap, but uh, resolve any knowledge gaps that we might have in our team or in our communication systems, and using all of that as reinforcement to try to move the needle a little bit further, as it were. Hmm. Dr.
1: Singh, I have to tell you that I think every single person that we've talked to today, any of your patients, have talked about the way that you talk and your staff talk to them and their families and and make sure they know what's going on and it's being told in a in a way that they understand as you're doing it with us this afternoon as well but at times you're telling these folks some pretty tough news about having to be on life support or you know what is going to be that next step
5: to try to keep them alive Um, how do you do that it's a delicate and nuanced conversation. You know, sometimes it's a time sensitive issue. And so you need to convey the information uh, concisely, but with enough depth so that they can understand what's developed and what's going to evolve moving forward. It requires frequent updates and conversations. But I think most of all, each and every one of us recognizes the situation that the families and patients are in, which is um, an unexpected one, a stressful one. And you try to put yourself as best you can uh, into their situation and give them what you think you might want. At the same time, you need to maintain your Professionalism, so that you can help them through it as well. But they don't teach you how to do that. Yeah, I, I
1: don't. T- I don't think you go to school, and it was part of your. It, maybe it's a little tiny offshoot somewhere, but I think some people really do have it, and they don't have it. And I think a lot of us, unfortunately, may have run into someone who doesn't have that bedside manner that we're talking <laughs> about. And we can see, just
5: speaking with you, it's there. Oh well, I appreciate that. <laughs> that's the kind of you to say. I. I think we all develop our own approach. I am interested in education as well. And and part of our training for all intensivists, uh, we have categories of being an educator, a leader, a collaborator, a health advocate, a medical expert, and so forth, that's been set out as part of the training requirements for our trainees to achieve. And so, we do try to expose them to these situations and uh, give them guidance and freedom to grow in that regard. And things take time, and we all grow uh, and Outlooks change, and we learn together. Yeah. Find How your way.
0: important is it to the patient that they actually feel that from you? Is it, is it critical to their recovery or to their treatment that they feel confident, comfortable, and safe?
5: That's a very good question. With technology, boy, is it ever dangerous to become displaced and distant from what's happening. In ICU, we rely on... Technology and monitoring and nursing to keep things informed on a second to second basis uh, as the need might arise. But every day, multiple times a day, you know, you go in and you examine the patient, communicate with the patient as best you can. And sometimes they may be in a coma, but even still, you know, to convey what's going on every time you do a procedure. Even if somebody's sedated, I communicate to them what I'm about to do. And, you know, always introduce yourself. And to some extent, um, maybe some of those conversations are recalled. Uh, And even if they aren't, perhaps it can attenuate or allay some of their concerns that they may be feeling that they're not able to express to you. And certainly we try to communicate frequently with families and update them on what's happening
0: you know i have to tell you i had uh, i stepped out on the last break to go downstairs and outside i won't say why um but Can I, I offer
5: I, you a business card yeah <laughs> i'll
0: need you down the road um but I have to say, it was just like one of those uh, Mazenkowski moments because uh, people are outside right now who have uh, family or loved ones inside. Mm-hmm. And I stepped outside for a moment and overheard a woman say to, I'm guessing her mom, don't worry, he's exactly where he needs to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the place you need to be, isn't it?
5: We like to think so. And... I- I can confidently say that we offer world-class care here. i've I've been fortunate enough to work in multiple other centers, including um, one of the most uh, you know vaunted uh, you know centers in the world, and we, We really have an incredible team here and incredible dedication from all levels of the organization and administration and the foundation to try to bridge any gaps that we have and try to help us push care forward and be even better.
0: Given all of that, 24 beds
5: doesn't seem like enough. Are you offering to give us more? <laughs> how many beds would you like to have, or how many beds do you think you need? You know, this is always a difficult question. Uh, you know, growth as the population grows and uh, needs change, it's, uh, it's a moving target for sure. Um, you know, part of this uh, uh, foundation's uh, efforts recently has been an expansion of the CBICU and, you know, who knows what the future holds in terms of that, but we... We're fortunate to have the resources that we have here in Edmonton and uh, we're continuing to try to take advantage of them.
1: Dr. Singh, it's always uh, good to see you once a year, and I'm glad that's the only time I get to see you at this point <laughs> in my life. But thank you for for joining us, and, and thanks for the work that you're doing here.
5: Thank you for all your support, and for your listeners, and for the community. And if I can co op one of your old famous lines, same time next year. Right? Okay. <laughs> you got it. <laughs>
1: thank you, Dr. Gurmeet so Singh, joining us this afternoon. It is 3.50 on the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News.
0: Gross on 6:30, Chad.
1: Our next guest joining us this afternoon is Guy Gobay. His mom, Annette, was in the Maz uh, recently. Guy joins us on the phone this afternoon. Hi, Guy. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Tell us about your mom, Annette. What happened that she ended up here?
4: Well, um, kind of early last year, her health started going downhill a little bit um they weren't really sure what exactly the problem was but she was encountering a lot of you know excessive fatigue and um just kind of a lot of issues that she hadn't experienced before um so after having run through a series of tests um they discovered there was probably a problem with her heart um they assigned her to uh cardiologist uh dr Zikovich, who Uh was amazing and um you know after uh, a series of tests and just confirming exactly what the problem was. They uh, identified a faulty uh, tricuspid valve, and um, consequently, she needed surgery to get that fixed.
0: And how long from the time that she discovered she needed the surgery did she actually receive the surgery?
4: Um, well, she did have um, probably three or three or four postponements to her uh, surgery date. And those are due mainly to um, transplants emergency transplants that were kind of coming up Um, so it was probably a series of a couple months before she actually got in but on december 20th um, she did have a scheduled date and uh, they did get her in and um, yeah so she was in the hospital through christmas which is unfortunate but um, you know we we were lucky that she was at least able to get in on that day.
1: Yeah, gee, what a, what a relief after what must have been a really tough time. There's a lot of worrying about your mom, I'm sure.
4: Oh, definitely. And, I mean, it was probably in some ways almost worse at the start when we didn't really know what the problem was. Um, but, you know, but once they figured out exactly what was causing the issues and they had a plan in place, you know, that definitely relieved some of the worry, but, um, you know, once you find out there's going to be open heart surgery, that's
0: always, for sure, a little bit stressful on everybody. Uh, I'll Sorry. bet. Uh, do you, I know you just hold your breath. When, when do you exhale?
4: Well, I don't think you exhale until she's back home, but I mean, the first big sigh relief probably came when, when we got the call from Dr. MacArthur who did the surgery. So we were, you know, family was all at the hospital at the time, of course. And when we finally got the call um, from from the ward saying the surgery was done and Dr. McCarthy wanted to talk to us. So when he gave us the good news that everything had gone, you know, as as planned and there was no complications and they were happy with how everything went, um, that was probably, the, the most emotional part of the whole journey. So that was uh, a really big relief for everybody.
1: How's she doing now?
4: She's doing really well. She's, uh, she's regaining strength all the time. Um, you know, she's just got way more jump in her step, <laughs> in her face. And, you know, I think just uh, knowing that she's kind of working back towards the quality of life that she had, you know, a year or two ago. I think is uh, just mentally spiritually
1: everything has
0: just been really good for it. Awesome. You know uh, a facility like the Mazankowski is here because people stepped up and pledged money to the Mazinkowski before they needed it and after they received uh, treatment uh, what would you say to our listeners how important is it to you and how important was it to you that people supported this facility so that it was here for your mother?
4: Well I mean I think we a lot of people probably including us um, prior to this this whole event for us. Um, you know, I think we take things for granted and having a world class facility like this right in Edmonton is is pretty amazing. Um, you know, and and because it's known as such a, a cutting edge facility, you know, we have the ability to attract good staff, top notch surgeons, um, and all of that. You know, we need to maintain it as a, as a world-class facility to ensure that we have those kind of people wanting to be a part of it
0: as a society. Well, you know, you hit the nail on the head there because, as we've heard all afternoon, it's one thing to build it, staff it, and equip it, but uh. it needs continued support in order to stay on the edge of technology and to be regarded as one of the finest facilities in North America.
1: Gigo Bay, thank you for joining us this afternoon. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You betcha, and uh, keep on the uh, the good recovery, Annette, that's for sure. Okay, it's 3.57 on uh, Heart Pledge Day here on the 6.30 Chat Afternoon News. Just this text that came in from uh, Jalissa Dirksen and family. It says, always a pleasure to hear from Dr. Singh. He is a lifesaver. I would know that personally. My family felt that he was incredibly great with relaying information on my condition during our tough time in the CVICU while I was on ECMO. Thank you again for all that you do with with love, Jalissa. 780
0: 407 2200. 780 407 2200. Or go online heartpledgeday.ca. We need your support. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with jaylyn Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.